Welcome to Gateway Community Church, Webster, Texas. We're so glad you found us, and we hope this message helps you discover more about God and His unique plan for your life. But it's really exciting to see th- things like that and so much more that God is doing and working in you. Um, we, we know that um, we've got hundreds have met in Daring Faith groups. If you met in a group this week, just shout out a minute. Did, did God? Yeah. We, we, we had several hundred. And, and here's the thing. You can still sign up today. If you haven't done that and you want to be a part of a group, we still have groups that can take individuals uh, and you can find them on your cell phone by just going to gateway-community.org and then hit the find it page and it'll be right there at the top, a listing for Daring Faith groups. Or you can go out into our ministry area and there are folks out there who would love to help you. And the, the books, I think we sold almost a thousand of these, but we still have a couple of hundred left. And these are great. Today is day eight, so just so you know, but even if you haven't done it or haven't gotten up to this point, you can start today. I love today's passage. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That's good news that some of us right now today need to read that and claim that in our lives. And that's there to walk you through that. So I hope that you'll uh, continue that as well as we go through this journey these next several weeks. Um, Today is also Super Bowl Sunday. This is uh, Super Bowl 50, and I don't know if y'all have noticed, I, I did, they replaced the L, the Roman numeral L, with the Arabic number 50. I don't know if they think we can't, we can't figure out Roman numerals anymore, or what, uh, or just that's the way everybody writes. Uh, last year was the most watched television show in history for the game, and, and today, I, this is something I didn't know, today is the second largest Food Consumption Day in the United States, second only to Thanksgiving. And we want to help you. So our Spanish language service folks have some food out there. If you want to take that as kind of a brunch to carry you over to the serious eating later this evening, they're there for you. There, there's some other trivia I just came across this week. Uh, for the Super Bowl One. anybody remember Super Bowl One? A few of you do. It wasn't even, what was it called? It wasn't called Super Bowl, was it? National Football Championship, National Football League Championship. Super Bowl came later. The cost of a 30-second ad for that first one was $42,500. The cost today for the same ad, five million. A little bit of inflation. The NFL will, interestingly, when they get to off-season or or post-season, most NFL players' contracts no longer apply. And only a handful of them actually are paid based on postseason things or where they have uh, uh, incentives built. And most do not. And so they, many of them actually make less money. Some of them make, will make six or 800000 for a regular season game. Today, if they're on the losing team, they make 51000 Gee, that's a shame, isn't it? And 102000 if they're on the winning team. The Broncos are making their eighth Super Bowl appearance tying the Patriots, Steelers, and Cowboys for the most appearances, and they still have the distinction of having the most losses for any team, five. For the first time, Super Bowl 50 pits two quarterbacks who were each drafted number one. First time in 50 years. Uh, If the Broncos win, Manning, I loved his day. I grew up in Louisiana, so we were all Archie Manning fans. There you go. Who dat? Uh, 
Manning will become the oldest Super Bowl winning quarterback in NFL, NFL history, edging out his boss. Who, who's his boss? John Elway, yeah. If the Panthers win, Cam Newton will become the first quarterback to win an FSB, FBS, sorry, FBS College National Football Championship at Auburn, the Heisman Trophy, and a Super Bowl. First quarterback to do that. And, a little trivia, he also won a national junior college championship. Do you know where? Blinn College, right up at Bryan. Yeah. So got a little, we got a little local claim to fame there. Now, I guarantee you that neither Cam Newton or Peyton Manning, nor for that matter any of the players on those teams, are going to blow off this game like it's no big deal or we're not going to give it our best. They are going to go all out in this game. They wouldn't be in the Super Bowl if they hadn't consistently done that. So what about you? Here's the question I want us to think about this morning. What would your life be like if you consistently gave your best? If you did that day in and day out? And how would your life change? And, and, and even more importantly, how would the world around you change if you consistently gave God your first, your best in everything? In the Old Testament, it tells us whatever work you do, do your best. In the New Testament, it says don't just do the minimum that will get you by. Do your best. I want to tell you, it'll be disappointing if, if those two teams this evening don't give their best. But here's the thing. It will be tragic. It will be tragic if you and I waste opportunities that God gives us to be the best we can be, to be all he created us to be. I want to tell you, there's more on the line for us in giving our best for God than there is for a football team giving their best to win a game. There's a lot more on the line. I don't want you to settle for second best. I want you to to win this thing and the, the, the game that God has placed you in, you to play. He picked you, he created you the way you are for this game for you to play. So how do I give my best to God to live a life of daring faith? That's what we want to look at this morning. And, and in second, Paul's second letter to Timothy, he gives us three metaphors that can kind of help us. Beginning in verse three, he says, endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of a civilian life, for then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. And athletes cannot win the prize unless they follow the rules. And hardworking farmers should be the first to enjoy the fruit of their labor. Think about what I'm saying. The Lord will help you understand all these things. And Paul points us here to, to soldiers, athletes, and farmers. And so that's what we want to look at this morning, to see what they can teach us about living, daring to live by faith. The first thing is soldiers teach us is that to be the best I can be, I must sacrifice my comfort. How many of you have served in the military? Several of you, thank you. God bless you. Could you always do whatever you wanted? Now, Paul talks about the good soldier of Christ Jesus enduring suffering because they are called to serve. 
and must therefore sacrifice their own comforts. And of course, that's what men and women in the military do all the time. They give up their physical comforts. They, they give up wealth. They give up their schedule. They aren't free to do whatever they want whenever they want. They obey their commanding officer. They sacrifice their comfort to endure suffering and hardship as a faithful soldier. And this is true in every area of life. We, we don't get to do great things without great sacrifice. We don't do great things by five easy steps or follow these simple formulas. We don't do it by staying comfortable. We do great things by committing ourselves, giving ourselves fully, sacrificing for something greater than ourselves. A soldier endures suffering, hardship for a greater cause. The gr- and, and, and we are called to the same thing, to endure, to suffer, to sacrifice our comfort for a greater, in fact, the greatest cause, Jesus Christ. I mean, what does it look like in, in your life? What, what adversity do you and I have to endure? Let me tell you, it's harder to do what's right regardless of what others are doing. It's, it's harder to defend the person being picked on or criticized, to stand up for them. It's, it's harder to be kind or, or to forgive someone versus making fun of them because everybody else is or getting even because they've hurt us. That's harder. It's it's harder to love and put another first than seeking what I want. Those are just a few of the hardships, a few of the things that we suffer, that we have to endure in following Christ. It's not easy. It's easy to begin that journey. It's not a huge step to begin the journey, but it's going to take some big steps to continue that journey, to show the way of love and sacrifice. Maybe I have to sacrifice some of my time or money to help others or sacrifice my convenience or my pride or even my ego. I mean, think about that. How hard is it sometimes to sacrifice your ego when somebody's said or done something? And yet for the cause of Christ, that's what you have to do. If I'm following Christ, there are gonna be times when I have to sacrifice my comfort and and every member of our armed services knows what that means firsthand. But so do, I think, all of us. Second, soldiers teach us that to be the best I can be, I have to eliminate distractions. Paul said, soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life, for then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. In other words, a soldier can't get distracted by anything that keeps them off mission. They are tasked to serve, to do what their commanding officer tells them to do for the sake of the mission. And yet it's easy for us to get distracted by all kinds of things of the life, in life. Many of them, which are, are actually pretty good things, but aren't the best thing or the most important thing. Now think about that. It is easy to get distracted by pretty good and settle for decent, 
and okay rather than best. And the problem is when we give in to decent or everyday or okay things or pretty good things, then when the best things come along, we're often not in a position to take advantage of it. We're often, we can't stop at what we're doing and join into that which is even more important, that is fundamentally important, foundationally important. I mean, how much of your time, energy, and resources are you investing right now in things that, that really probably aren't gonna make a difference in five years from now? Much less forever. If you wanna do great things, you got to start investing your time, energy, and resources on things that last forever, that have eternal implications. Like when you saw people being baptized. Every time we, in, we baptize someone, that shows an investment that the, the kingdom of God is making in those individuals to help them both come to faith and live for faith. I tell, I tell every group when, we bapt, when we're doing baptisms, I tell them, there are a lot of good decisions that you and I can make, a lot of important decisions, a lot of decisions that will have implications even 5, 10, 15 years down the line. But there is only one decision that affects our eternity, and that is the decision to trust Jesus Christ. And when you and I invest in helping others come to that conclusion, that we're not coerced, but where they decide and see the goodness of God and see the power of Christ for their life, as, they, as we invest in helping them to see that and understand that, we are involved in eternal things. And there is nothing, there is no greater investment. You can think of things that are important, and you can list some things, and you can be running in your mind, and you may think, but yeah, Randy, but what about, and what about, great. But let me tell you, at the end of that, of that person's life, when they die, they're not taking it with them. And where will they go? That's what I mean by eternity, about investing in those things that have eternal implications. It's not a question of what I can do, but what matters so much that I must do. Not living by accident, but living for your purpose on purpose. I mean, the Bible uses phrases like, let go, lay aside, cast off, get rid of, because not everything that you and I do is fundamentally, eternally important. And none of us can do it all. So an important question we need to, to address is, how can I eliminate some distractions in my life that are taking me away from doing the things that fundamentally matter the most? Can I give up some time, some resources, to love sacrificially those around me? To help those who can't help themselves, to help those who need me. It was so cool. We got a, 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 my wife got an email this week from a, a, a lady who is going through Daring Faith who went through our Transform group last year and, and talked about inviting others into their home and, and something that was so scary to do before but was, she was able to do it. I, I read another comment about somebody who said, I never thought I could go up and talk to someone about Jesus and, and just invite them. And, and she said, this week I did it and it, it was it was so freeing to know I could do something, and whether they responded or not, I was doing something for their eternity. Can I give up things that, that are significant, that matter, but in order to do things that are eternal and forever, that, that enable people to love God and serve him 
to give more to his work, to be used by him, to make, be making a difference. See, effective sh- soldiers show us that we have to sacrifice our comfort and we have to eliminate distractions to keep the main thing the main thing. But the Apostle Paul doesn't stop with the metaphor of soldiers. He, he turns next to the metaphor of an athlete. He says in verse 5, athletes cannot win the prize unless they follow the rules. The, and the Bible often uses this image of an athlete or a race to describe the Christian life, that it's not a sprint. It's not how quickly can I get from here to there. It is how do I keep running the race day in, day out. It's not can I get from here to there and that's it. A lot of us think the race is just simply let me get here, I'm done, I got baptized, I'm finished. No. Baptism is where we cross the line to begin the race. And when we die and we meet Jesus Jesus face to face, that's when we win. But the thing is, everyone who starts that race is already in line to finish. That's the cool thing. As a pastor, as a church, we're here to help you get across the finish line and not get sidetracked. We want you to win the prize. In another passage about athletes, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 9, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize, so run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I might myself be disqualified. You see, athletes teach us that to be the best I can be, I gotta focus on winning, on running the best race I can. I'm not going to accidentally win. Think about that for a minute. I have to be intentional, I have to work at it. And I wanna tell you, there is a huge difference between a casual Christian and a committed Christian. Because someone who thinks following Christ is a pretty good idea, a nice thing to do, as long as it's not too radical, is very different from someone who is seeking to become a fully devoted follower of Christ. The casual athlete's just out to have fun while it's easy, when it's convenient. They're not going to give it their all. The intentional athlete is, is, is driven. It takes it seriously. It's focused on whatever it takes to win. I guarantee you there will not be a single casual football player on that field this afternoon. Not a single one. They are all intentionally competing to do their best and win. Why does this matter? Because here's the thing. Even in this room right now, I suspect there are folks listening who have no intention of doing great things, at least for the kingdom, of being the best you can be, of becoming the person God created you to be. Why? Now, you may not even be thinking of it in those those ways, but you're not really willing to pay a price. You're willing to come along the Christian journey as long as it's easy and convenient and, and comfortable. I want to challenge you that that's not the Christian journey. It is not a casual affair. It is about life and death, and not just ours, but for the world around us. 
God has chosen to use you and me to be instruments, to change the world, to help others come to faith in Jesus Christ. It's not about just being satisfied or what do I get or if it's convenient. I mean, I, I want to tell you, when you stand before Jesus Christ, who, who didn't pull back from the cross, who didn't say, this is a little inconvenient right now, maybe I can do this later, who went to the cross and took our sins upon himself to the point where he's, he felt abandoned, who gave it all for you, are you going to want to stand before him and say, well, it was kind of hard, Jesus. And there were some times I just, I figured you'd be okay if I took it easy. The guy who gave it all, and we're standing there saying, I didn't think it was a big deal. He gave his life. That's about as big a deal as they can get. I wonder how we'll feel. Maybe even ashamed. Paul writes, run your best in the race of faith and win eternal life for yourself for it is to this life that God called you when you firmly professed your faith before many witnesses. If you have professed your faith in Christ and have been baptized, you, you, you made a witness to others that you're committing your life to him, to follow him, to run the race for him, following him. And, and so live out that faith that you professed at your baptism. Run the race. Run it hard. Run for Christ. And that's something you and I have to do intentionally. We have to do it every day. If, if you've been slacking, if, if you're really more of a casual Christian, Today, commit to get on board, to go hard after it, to get back in the race, to run your best, to not settle or be satisfied with less than what God can do through you, because that is the race God created you to run. Athletes also teaches that to be the best I can be, I have to discipline myself. I want to tell you again, not one of those athletes today is simply there because they're talented. Yes, they are talented. Talented maybe than any of us in this room in that area. But talent is not enough. Every student finds a place in life where maybe school has been easy, but at some point, talent isn't enough. Every player has gone for a while and they've risen to this level and this level and they can do it. But at the highest levels, talent is not enough. It takes discipline. It takes hard work for them to get to the Super Bowl. They went through training camp. They went through daily practices. They, they played a season of games. They were careful what they ate. They took care of their bodies. And if they failed to do those things, there's no way they'd make the team. And if they don't keep it up, the tragedy is they can pull the whole team down. One guy who lets up, who everybody thinks he's in, who lets up, can affect the whole game. 
Paul says athletes cannot win the prize unless they follow the rules. There are, there are no shortcuts. There's nothing more frustrating, you know, than, than getting injured because you didn't prepare your body. And there's nothing more frustrating. Also, and you'll probably see it today, you see a great play called back because someone was penalized for breaking the rules. That lack of discipline, that shortcut, affected the whole team. The Bible says all athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Think about all that these guys have put in to get to this place today. Not a single one of them walked on a few weeks ago and never were trained, never prepared, excuse me, prepared. In fact, I suspect most of those guys have been preparing for this since they were maybe early teens or even younger. I mean, that's what it takes. The Super Bowl winner today, you know, will, will receive the Lombardi Trophy, and it's a, it's a big deal here, here and now. But I want to tell you, when we get to heaven, the Lombardi Trophy will carry no weight compared to the eternal trophies, the people God used you to help reach for all eternity, to help them come to faith, your children, your parents, your siblings, your family, your friends, your coworkers. And God can best use us in the big game when we're disciplined and giving our best. It, it, it happens when we deny ourselves, when we discipline ourselves to run full out, to win. And not just so I can win the trophy, but so that the team wins. Jesus said, if, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily, and follow me. He says, turn from our selfish ways. Deny ourselves. Deny ourselves maybe popularity. Deny ourselves wealth or comfort or whatever it may be. A poster reads, the pain of regret is always greater than the pain of discipline. Think about that for a minute. How would your life be better today if you'd been a little more disciplined up to now? Don't let the pain of regret strike you anymore, but become more disciplined. You know, they, they say the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. You know what the next best time to plant a tree is? Today. Okay, it didn't happen 20 years ago. It didn't happen 10 years ago. I didn't do all I could have done five years ago, but I can start today. Let God help me discipline my life. And daring faith is an opportunity to build discipline into your life by reading daily from Scripture and reflecting on it. Why does this matter? Because most Christians don't spend time every day reading God's Word. And yet the Christians, studies have shown Christians who feel the most peace and hope and joy in their lives are the ones who commit themselves to spending time in God's Word. Daring faith helps you spend time with other Christian believers. 
and others who are exploring to, to grow and experience it together as a team. And we come together as a body of Christ in worship each week as a discipline. Could you have been doing something else this morning? Absolutely. So could I. Congratulations. That in itself is a bigger step than some. So Paul is using these, these metaphors. He's used the metaphor of a soldier, metaphor of an athlete, and the third one he uses is of a farmer. In verse 6 it says, hardworking farmers should be the first to enjoy the fruit of their labor. And, and the Bible uses that image or that metaphor in a lot of places. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. And Paul writes to the Corinthians, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he'll provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. You'll be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God. For your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. Now, I mean, that passage is a whole series of messages in and of itself, but let me just summarize by saying our life on earth here is like planting a seed. We've got a certain amount of time here on earth to plant, to sow, and, and the kind of seed that you and I plant determines what grows. Do I invest in godly things or do I invest in things that have no eternal implications? And if I plant generously, the Bible says I will reap generously. What I sow here on earth for God and his glory is reaped now and in heaven. Jesus cautioned us to be very intentional about where we sow and where we store our treasure. He said, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Listen, I have never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. If I sow for earthly treasures, yes, I may receive earthly treasures. Yes, I may get to enjoy them. But that's all. It's, they're only in this lifetime, only for now. And they, they rust, they decay, they rot. And ultimately, they're either gone or somebody else gets them. But when I sow treasures in heaven, those treasures are safe forever and I get the joy of experiencing that investment when I get to heaven. See, to be the best I can be and reap a great harvest, I have to plant generously in faith. And what's cool here is that not only am I supposed to plant, but the Bible says God has already given me the seed to plant, to sow. You say, well, I don't have anything to do. No, that's not true. That's the lie of the enemy. God created you and entrusted to you time, talent, and treasure. And whatever you have, whether you think it's a lot or a little, I guarantee you there is someone else who needs exactly what you have. God has given you something that only you can give to somebody else. 
You have time, you have talent, you have treasure or resources that God has given you to invest in his kingdom. Not to splurge on yourself. I mean, how do we feel when we give our, our children some money to, to buy someone a gift? We get so excited when they say, yeah, I want to buy so-and-so a gift. I want to get them a birthday present. I want to get them a Christmas present. I want to buy them a valentine. And then later on, they come up to you and they're eating some candy. You say, well, what happened to the gift? I decided to give it to myself. Now, do you feel great about that? Does that just really make you feel proud as a parent or as an adult? Does that make you feel like, yeah, baby, that's how to raise my kids. I mean, that child gets pleasure for a moment. But when we teach our children the value of giving to others, and we provide, we're actually reenacting a parable of God. Because that's exactly what God's done for us. He's given us everything that we need to invest in others. You don't have to have more of anything right now to be able to invest. God's done that with us. He's given us time. He's given us talent. He's given us treasure to invest in eternity by investing in others. And the Bible even says God is the one who provides. And in fact, he gives you, the Bible says, everything you need and plenty left over to share with others, provided you share, you're generous. But if you aren't generous, why would he give you more? If your child doesn't know how to take what you've given them and spend it on others, does that encourage you to give them some more? Well, here, you, you, you didn't know how to spend the last, so I'm just gonna give you a lot more. No, that doesn't make any sense. The same thing's true for you and me. God loved the world so much that he gave. He is a giver, and he created us in his image to be givers. In Mark 10, Jesus replied, yes, and I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property, along with persecution. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. Jesus says, Jesus promises that we will be blessed through generous planning. And yes, it may bring trials. It may bring persecution as you do things for the sake of the kingdom rather than for the sake of, of what other people want. But he tells us all of that fades in comparison to what we reap in, even in this life, but especially in the life to come. And as you can see, I mean, this is a big faith issue. If you group met this week, we talked about some of the definitions of faith. What does it mean? Do I dare trust God that he has provided me time, talent, and treasure to use generously for the sake of others? Or do I believe I have just enough to get by? I've got to hold it tight. I can't let any of it go because if I do, I won't have enough. I won't get through. The Bible is telling us that you and I cannot outgive God. And I'm not just talking about money, and I'm not just talking about finances. I'm talking about everything. I know I've experienced that in my life. But if we don't act in faith, we don't discover this because we only find it to be true as we act in 
faith. God's smart about this. He's not going to give you more until you demonstrate you're willing to live by faith. Why, quite honestly, I mean, I don't know that I've ever met a former tither. Because they start giving financially their 10% of their income to God through his church and discover he is faithful and generous. And it doesn't mean that suddenly they get more money back and there's an extra amount of money that shows up in their bank account. But that as they give, they discover something that they can't discover any other way. That God transforms our hearts and attitudes and, and even our needs so that we discover that whatever we have can be enough. Enough, in fact, to be generous. I was listening to a member of my small group talking about going to India and talking about going to Kenya and these children who have nothing, who are so generous, who have so very little, and yet it is so much easier for them. It is so much harder for us when we have more to think we've got to hold on to it. A friend of mine who runs a large company said he has more pressure on him now because he's worth a lot than he ever had when he was a good old boy. We, we, we think we know how the world works. We think we know how it all hands out because that's the way the world tells us. The problem is God created it all. And God knows how it works. And so this principle works with our finances, it works with our time, it works with our talent, that whatever God has entrusted to us, he has given to us to use for the sake of others, to give, to be generous. And in doing so, we never miss what we've given up for his purposes. Dare to give God your best by investing your abilities for the mission and ministry of his church. So the time that he has given you to serve in his church and in his community, and you will discover he's given you enough to be generous. No, there are not more than 24 hours in a day. But it's possible to discover some hours can be better used and have greater impact. All this proves that those who dare to have faith in Jesus for salvation and follow him can actually change the world. The effective soldier sacrifices for the greater good. The effective athlete focuses on the prize, and the effective farmer plants for a great harvest forever. And all this can only happen as we ourselves are connected deeply to Jesus Christ, the source who gives us the strength, who gives us the power, who gives us even the resources to do what he calls us to do. Guys, dare to give God your best. Dare to give him your all and see how he can take that and multiply it and change the world. As I said at the beginning, it's still not too late to join in with a Daring Faith group you're not sure how to do it on your phone or whatever, go out there to a ministry booth. They'll help you. It's not too late to get one of these. Our prayer team will be out here on the sides up here praying with you. You need that. We're going to be offering communion in just a moment over in the Life Center. 
And if you're a guest today, we'd love to meet you right outside these doors. There's a place over there uh, to just say hello and, and let you know we're glad you, you came today. And, and Gateway family, if you brought someone or you met someone, bring them over there or encourage them, encourage them to come. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who gives. You so love the world that you gave your all for us. And you have given that same calling into our lives. Father, help us to dare to believe, to dare to live by faith, to dare to go beyond what seems inconvenient or easy, to sacrifice my comfort, to discipline myself, to look at the bigger picture, to invest for eternity. Help me not to be satisfied with piddly things of this day and time, but to see the greater good, the kingdom of God, and the lives that can be there forever. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. To learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.